You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. Our sermon text today comes from Genesis 3:15 and 16 and verse 20. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Um, Yeah, if you want to... Open in your Bibles. We'll look at Genesis 2 and 3 a little bit and then be all over the place. So we wrapped up the book of Genesis with a big message last week. And then just the way the timing worked out, um, I thought it would be good for us to start the Sermon on the Mount series next Sunday, which left Mother's Day kind of sitting here. And as I thought about, okay, what what do you want to do? I don't always do a thematic message on mothers on Mother's Day. Uh, usually we're working through a book and it just we kind of keep trucking. But it seemed appropriate today uh, to spend some time on this. And then also, uh, just as I thought about it going, the theme of motherhood is so strong through the book of Genesis. I think we tend to overlook it. So if you think through just how significant mothers and motherhood is throughout the book of Genesis, I thought it would be worthwhile for us to spend a few minutes and spend one sermon thinking through that. Uh, So we'll look at Genesis again, but we'll also, uh, with the theme of motherhood, but also we're going to trail off into other texts as well. And so um, as I thought through what I was going to share with you today, uh, I I realized that in some ways this feels very simple, like this is stuff we all know. But I think if we step back a little bit and look at kind of where the pressures are coming from, I think it would be fair to say that motherhood is probably under some measure of attack in our own world and culture today. Uh, A secular attack, motherhood, is a problem to be avoided, and behind that is a satanic attack, that when Satan in his rebellion against God, the one who steals, kills, and destroys, targeted in the garden the one who brings life and nurture and order. And so it's not surprising that, uh, that we would have an enemy and that we would maybe even have a culture that is rebellious against God that does not value or treasure motherhood as it ought. You can take even some of the biggest hot button issues of the day. Uh, even this week, hearing about the Dobbs case in the Supreme Court, and uh, as, as uh, Scott prayed about abortion, is really the avoidance of motherhood, that motherhood is in some ways a curse. Uh, reproductive health, these agendas don't promote the honoring of motherhood, but actually the avoidance and dishonoring of it. That motherhood is in some sense a curse, and that's an offense to God who created motherhood. Think of the LGBTQIA plus uh, a range of agenda and movement, and really all of those letters represent an inability to create mothers. The inability to create mothers. Every one of these letters demeans and diminishes motherhood. I read one article by a man named Frank Ferretti, who I think is actually a Catholic man, and he, he says, Clark justifies changing the language of everyday life on the basis that all pregnant people deserve inclusion. Unfortunately, this talk of inclusion renders motherhood meaningless. It turns pregnancy into a technical accomplishment performed by de-sexed, binary-neutral individuals. The subordination of biological sex differences to the imperative of gender neutrality turns the bringing of children into this world into a socially engineered melodrama 
And as always, it will be the children who will pay the price for this confusion. And so that avoidance of motherhood is being seen in other agendas as well. We think of sex education of children, self-expression and self-gratification is to be celebrated while the avoidance of sexually transmitted diseases, and often pregnancy is sort of lumped in as a sexually transmitted disease, which says something about how we view motherhood and how we view children. Disconnecting sexual activity from responsible aspiration from healthy motherhood and fatherhood in itself undermines kind of what God meant to give us in fatherhood and motherhood. And we see even more extreme examples like China's one-child-only policy, limiting the power of mothers to create people made in his image, and in a culture like that where you abort the girls, essentially discarding potential future mothers and creating what is now being seen as a civilizational crisis in places like China where there's now not nearly enough women to perpetuate the civilization because of a devaluing of what only a woman can do and what only a mother is and does and how critical that is for everything. There's even lower level judgments that I think can erode the prominence and value of motherhood. Sometimes the looks that a mother of many children might get as she walks through the store. Announcements of pregnancy met with the phrase, you know how that happens, right? As if it is something to be avoided, as if to be something pursued. That's a subtle assumption sometimes that babies are more a regrettable accident than a supernatural gift and ability. Stay-at-home moms sometimes seen or characterized as not working or unproductive, right? I mean, there's, there's subtle things that sort of erode and diminish what is really a marvelous invention of God. And so what I want to do is actually, um, well, I guess at the same time, there can be unfulfilled desires for motherhood. There can be the experience of having abusive or neglectful mothers. Uh, there's the pain that a mother experiences through having rebellious children or having lost a child. Unhealthy marriages, motherhood is often in the crossfire and under pressure and undervalued in nearly every way by almost every one of us, at least at times, right? So, so I thought maybe it would be worthwhile to spend a little bit of time in Genesis and some other scriptures and on this day where we honor moms to give a bit of a theology of momhood. So I, w- I want to talk about seven universal truths about motherhood. And hopefully it'll encourage you to think of maybe some more as you have conversation after this. And I want you to see the, the, the divine intention, the divine power that is uh, uniquely given to women and particularly expressed in motherhood. And so, yeah, the title is The Glory and Pain of Motherhood. And here's seven universal... Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm making it difficult for you. Uh, so let's just look at these, and I'm going to give some scripture verses to these, and let's just marvel in the creation of motherhood for a few minutes together. So seven universal truths about motherhood. Number one, motherhood is God's very good idea. Motherhood is God's very good idea. In fact, that's what God says when he creates humanity, he creates an image bearer, and he creates Adam first. And then in chapter, er, chapter 2, verse 18, he says this about this lone man. The Lord said, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone, I will make a helper fit for him. I have given him a commission, I have given him a responsibility to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and he is incapable of doing that. He is incapable of doing that, and this is not good. A man just by himself in the garden, imaging God alone is not good. There was something missing. There was a unique woman-shaped piece that was missing. And so God continues in 
in Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 through 25, and look at his remedy. This is the first time he says something is not good. This is prior to sin. This is prior to the fall. And he says something is not good, and that is the lack of a woman in the garden, in creation. And so, uh, chapter 2, verse 21, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed it up in the place of flesh. And the, womb, the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. I want you to notice something interesting there that uh, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, which right there at the very beginning, we see that Adam is designed to become a father, right? Here we have fathers and mothers. Already the pattern for family is established right here before, right as family is beginning to be a possibility. Um, Adam can't be a family by himself. There needs to be another part of the image of God that is brought together with him. And you already get the trajectory that God is laying out here is that men should aspire to and become fathers as much as they're able to, and mother, and his mother. And, the, and he holds fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So the intention of God was to create men and women who would then create family units who then become mothers and fathers. So the default setting of humanity, the good setting of humanity, is that males become husbands and fathers, females become wives and mothers, the gender identity assigned at the chromosomal level, enabling each of the two kinds of humans to fulfill their unique roles and purposes in the world for God's glory. So we would have to conclude here by God's own verdict, because when he finishes creation on day seven, says it is very good. It is very good. And that comes with the completion of the creation, the image of God in woman and her potential to uh, create more image bearers that will then fulfill this commission that was given to Adam. Number two, motherhood is essential to imaging God. Motherhood is essential to imaging God. God uses mothers to create more image bearers. And this is mind-blowing. This is a mind-blowing truth. God created the first man out of the dirt. He created the second woman or second human out of a rib from the man. And then from that point on, woman is given the unique task to be able to then take. God took dirt. And then God took a rib, and now the woman can take and create new life. Genesis 3.20, this was after the fall. Man called his wife's name Eve because she was mother of all the living. That was one of her callings. That was her unique ability in all of these things is that all living things come from, all living humans come from a woman. Think of those genealogies down through Genesis that we read and spent so much time in. And only the men are listed, but not one of those generations happens without women, right? So while unnamed, they are essential. Listen to Psalm 139, 13 and 16, and just think about the implications of what's being communicated here. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So God gets the credit for assembling human beings, but it talks about him knitting, right? 
if you can picture God knitting with his knitting needles, what are the knitting needles he's using? Well, it's the woman's own body. The female uterus is the fingertips and knitting needles of God. That's what's happening. That's what's going on according to this psalm, is that human beings are being knitted. Eternal human souls that will spend eternity somewhere are being assembled by God. And inside the mother are the fingertips of God in creating new life, forming new life, handmade, using these these fingers, these knitting needles. I love what one article I read uh, by a man named Tyler Hawley said, women like God have the gift of generative love. A woman has the ability to love a man in such a way that she can turn it into another human being. Indeed, women are the type of people whom other people come out of. Mothers have a kind of incarnational power that makes them uniquely like God. They incarnate marital love into a human person. In other words, women manifest the glorious love of God through creation, through birth. That's amazing. Triune God decided that he would make human beings and then, in a sense, delegated that same task to women and the ability to do that. And we're all sitting here because that happened. God knit us together using our mothers God uses mother language to describe his actions. So God takes motherly language upon himself. So in, in, in many ways, not just in what a mother can do in, in creating eternal human souls in that way, or God does that through them, but God also takes on, there's something uniquely about what a mother does and can do that images God. And let me just show a handful of passages that I found. Isaiah 49, 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. So God describes himself like a nursing mother. I would not forget the child that has latched onto me. A mother would more likely forget that than I would forget you. And he speaks of his people that way. Deuteronomy 32, 18. You were mindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. God uses that picture of what he has done with his people. Isaiah 66, 13, As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. When you skin your knee, you don't run to dad. Dad rubs dirt in it, right? You run to mom because mom comforts you. And God says, I am your comforter like a mother comforts. Hosea 11, 3 and 4, Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. And you see a child take their first steps and their mother's delight. That's what God says. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I came to them as one who eases the yoke of their jaws. And I bent down to them and I fed them. And then Matthew twenty-three thirty-seven, Jesus is speaking over Jerusalem and he describes himself in motherly language. Jesus describes himself in this way, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. He also compares himself to a chicken there, but don't, don't take away from the motherhood thing, right? This idea of nurture and care and protection, and this is, this is God's heart, is to, is to want to gather as a mother gathers her children with great gentleness and provision and protection. And so we see that womanhood images God. 
images God not just in the fact that this is how He will fill the earth with image bearers, that God actually creates image bearers through a woman, but also the very acts that a mother does reflects God themselves, God Himself. And God Himself is not ashamed to take on some of those descriptors upon Himself. Number three, motherhood is under a painful curse. Amen? Amen. Amen. Genesis 3.16. So while motherhood is this good, glorious thing that images God, it's God's very good idea. It is, it is critical to the imaging of God in the world. We also recognize that it's under a painful and unique curse. There's a unique curse that's being given because of the fall into sin that's given, that's put heavy on the woman. Genesis 3.16 says to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he will rule over you. So the, the place that she will most feel the curse of sin, the place that she will feel most pain is, is probably in relation to motherhood to some extent and her relationships with men. We're going to see that. And I think there's probably a bunch of testimonies in here of how that has been experienced I don't think it's just talking about the childbirthing process, but even the bringing forth of children. Parenting is a painful thing. In pain, pain in childbearing, bringing up the next generation comes at a great cost and great grief and great sadness. It is a glorious thing, but it is a painful thing that a mother feels physically, but then also feels the rest of her life emotionally, right? In fact, Romans 8 describes that the whole world is in this setting. We just read it for And look at the language that he uses. For we all know that the whole creation has been groaning together, as in the pains of childbirth until now. So the whole world struggling with sin, agonizing. Paul says, yeah, it's like a woman's labor, except the whole creation is kind of laboring, waiting for the delivery. There's a reason we call birth delivery, right? The delivery room. Deliver me from this. And now, not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruit of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. So the fallen world under a curse is, is likened to a woman in the middle of labor, waiting for the delivery, waiting for the good news, going through the curse, so to speak, and the pain of the curse, longing for the glory that's on the other side, the gift and the glory that's on the other side. As we reflect on where we've been in Genesis, just think about the mothers in the book of Genesis. I think I put them up on the slide here. And just think about how the curse falls on every single one of the mothers in Genesis. Eve, chapter 3 and 4, she has one child murder another. Can you imagine what that would do to a mom? The first mom. I, I can imagine she would feel like a failure as a mom in about a bajillion ways. Not only did she eat the fruit but also she brings forth these children and despite her best efforts, one of them doesn't turn out and the one that does seem to turn out favorably gets killed by the one who doesn't. Imagine the guilt that she feels and how much the curse has landed heavy on Eve, even right away. Think of Sarah, Genesis 12 through 23, and her struggle with barrenness to the point that she is even willing to give her handmaiden over to go, I'm a failure as a wife. I'm a failure. I'm the one holding back the promise of God. Her husband's infidelity, the near death of a child. Like Abraham does take their son off intending to kill him. We don't know if, how much she knew of that whole story, but I, 
I can't imagine that at least after the fact that doesn't bother her a bit. Think of Hagar, Genesis 16 and 21, offered up by her mom uh, uh, as sort of a uterus for rent, right? Bring forth a child on my behalf, just used for your ability to make a child, but really no relationship there, used and sort of discarded, abandoned from the family, and then is watching as her child nearly dies in the desert, not once but twice. Think of Rebecca, well-loved by her husband, but also dealing with barrenness. And then once she does finally become pregnant under the miraculous hand of God, she has a very difficult pregnancy with twins that are fighting inside of her and will continue the rest of their lives to fight. And then you see the favoritism that grows up in the family as, as she favors one son over the other and her husband favors one over the other and just the tension that motherhood experiences in that story. Think of Leah, who's not loved by her husband, not wanted, but but she produces a lot of children, but they all are pretty dysfunctional if you look at the children of Leah, right? Ah, they don't turn out great, most of them. She has a loveless marriage, has to share her husband with other women, including her own sister. How awkward would that be? Difficult. Similarly, Rachel, Leah's sister, deals with barrenness for a long time, a rivalry with her sister, seeing, seeing her sister have child after child after child while she waits desiring children but not getting them, and then dies herself in childbirth, giving birth to Benjamin. Motherhood literally kills her. Bilhah and Zilpah, the servant girls of Leah and Rachel, who are involuntarily used as surrogates in family rivalry. <laughs> Just to sort of, you know, that's a different culture in a different time. It wasn't totally uncommon, but let's think about the human element of this, is that that's not what women are for, right? They're not meant to be used in that way, and they just become caught up in this rivalry, and it's just their job to continue to be, that's their whole identity, is to just be surrogates for the family, and yet, God in His grace uses these four women to build the people of God. And then you have poor Dinah, who essentially, in terms of scriptures, how scripture's concerned, the rape defines her whole life, and she basically remains unmarried and childless. So that misuse of sexual intimacy, and she lives this very sad life, maybe longing for motherhood, but never seeing that really fulfilled. Tamar, who has a right to bear the firstborn of the family, but just deals with ungodly man after ungodly man to the point that God's putting them to death. <laughs> God's putting them to death because they're so wicked, and she's reduced to basically a form of prostitution to try to bring about her rightful responsibility to bring forth a, a child for the family. So, there isn't a mother in the Bible that has had it easy. Either wrestling through the desire to be a mother and leaving that sort of unfulfilled, or actually becoming a mother, praise God, and man, it's just tough. Just no easy route. There's never been, there's not a mother in the Bible that has it easy, and we see this Genesis 3.16, that there's a painful curse on motherhood. So while it is glorious, it's a good gift of God, it is essential to image-bearing, it is under a painful curse, isn't a mother in Bible that has it easy, and nor any mother since. The Genesis 3 curse is uniquely felt by women. Whether they have children or don't have children, it's all felt. It's felt as a consequence of sin. Even Mary, the mother of Jesus, she had the perfect kid. And here's what Simeon said about her when he met the baby Jesus, right? Like, you want this to be good. When you 
When you present your baby to someone the first time, you want to hear good news. You want to, hey, this is so great, this is so exciting, and particularly when it's the Messiah. But here's what Simeon has to say to Mary. He said to Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. This, this baby is both good news to some and bad news to others. He's going to be the salvation for some and the condemnation of others. And then he says, And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Think of Mary. She stands at the crucifixion of Jesus and sees what happens to her own child, her own son. She has a sword go through her heart also. So, so even the most blessed of all mothers doesn't have an easy go at it at all. And so we see that motherhood is under a painful curse. Number four, motherhood is essential to God's salvation plan. Genesis 3.15, just go right before the curse and we get this promise that's delivered as a curse to the serpent. I think ultimately to Satan as well. And here's what it says. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is fascinating. It's going to be through a woman that the Savior comes, completely apart from a man. Adam's just cut out of this. Men are sort of cut out, cut out from this. And so there's this foreshadowing a little bit that through a virgin will come a child who will save the world. So, women, have children, right? That's, that's the call rest of, for the rest of the Bible. Leave, don't. Though it's painful, through the curse, continue to bring forth life. Because as you endure the curse and bring forth life through that curse and deal with all of that over and over again in faith, one of them will come at some point that will be the one that ends the evil, that ends the curse, that brings things to their completion. Galatians 4, 3 through 5 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So the we that were born outside of the family might be brought into the family by one born of a woman. So motherhood is essential to the entire plan of God ultimately culminating in Jesus. Jesus was constructed, think about this, Jesus was constructed cell by cell within the body of a teenage girl named Mary. Just marvel at that for a moment, of the incarnation that God chose to put. The second person of the Trinity was dwelling in cellular form inside of a woman. And God knitted together the incarnation of the Son, and it's a woman that brings forth. And Joseph gets to kind of sit back and support the whole thing. But Mary's the only one that makes a contribution biologically to Jesus, to the God-man. What a uniquely honoring thing that God is giving to mothers, that it would be through a mother that this would happen. And then think about the metaphors for salvation, how salvation is described. Like actually going from being not a Christian to being a Christian to going from outside the relationship with God to a relationship with God. It's communicated in terms of birth. It's communicated in motherly type terms. Jesus, when he's speaking, speaking to Nicodemus, says, Surely, surely, I tell, you, I tell you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of, of God. Nicodemus goes, wait a minute. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Uh, the answer is no. But he immediately gets the picture of what is being picked, you know, what, what he's communicating is the image of motherhood being born. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. It's almost like the spirit is seen as a mother bringing forth children is sort of the picture here is that it's the Spirit that gives us birth. 
Like our mothers gave us birth, the Spirit gives us birth. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone that is born of the Spirit. Just as you couldn't predict when your mother would give you birth, so also you can't entirely predict when the Spirit might give you birth, new spiritual life. John 16, Jesus goes on to say, When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. So the Christian life is one of labor and birth. 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever's, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God does not no, whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. 1 John 5, 1 through 3, the theme of, the theme of birth through 1 John is, is stunning. Everyone who believes in that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commands. For this is the love of God that we keep His commands and His commands are not burdensome. So this sense of God giving us birth and into a family where now we love each other as siblings because we've all been born by God together. 1 Peter 2, 2 and 3, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that, it may, that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So the scripture being likened to nursing. So we see, we can put this all together and see that motherhood itself pictures the gospel and the gospel life. Tyler Hawley goes on in his article to say, after the fall, women can still generate human life. Praise God. But they must do so by embracing their curse. A mother faces down a pretty imposing pain that's ahead of her. Mothers embrace the pain of their fallen nature. They embrace death, and from that death is a life born. In every birth, a mother gives of herself for the sake of her child. So, because of the fall, motherhood not only reflects the generating love of God in creation, but also the regenerating love of Christ on the cross. Mothers embrace the curse so that another may be born. Christ embraces a curse so that we may be reborn. So, even in a mother bringing forth children is picturing what Christ himself does in the gospel. Number five, motherhood is spiritual warfare. Motherhood is spiritual warfare. We see that in Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So there is this cosmic spiritual battle of the woman and her offspring, this mother, and Satan. To where Satan loves to discourage mothers, to deny mothers. I think we see that culturally in many ways, right? This desire to destroy motherhood, to demean motherhood, to discourage motherhood. Think of Revelation 12, 1 through 6, and just this picture of what is being described as the woman giving birth versus the great dragon. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet, and on her head were a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head, head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. 
And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled to the wilderness, and there she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. So much mystery there, but don't miss the point that God is describing this cosmic battle of bringing the Savior into the world as, a, as the woman versus Satan. And that ultimately, the woman will bring forth a child that will bring the victory. So God chooses to use motherly language here to describe His salvation plan and His defeat of Satan. That through the seed of a woman, will be, the servant's head will be crushed. So motherhood is a spiritual warfare through Scripture, and I would say that's true for every woman here as you think about your kids and their salvation, their souls, right? Satan's warfare on woman and her seed is not a side project. It is a major part of the strategy. To Satan, mothers represent the unrelenting multiplication of hated humanity. Mothers are, I'm sorry, I lost my spot, of hated human images of the hated God-man who is coming soon to end his evil reign. Mothers are stewards of the home, superintendents of the precious time called childhood, where Satan hopes to do his worst work and often sees worst defeat. One article put it this way, innocence, flourishing joy, productivity, gratitude, meek service, earliest wonder, and maddening physicality all have a special place in a home with children, and Satan violently opposes all of them. We live in a world and a culture that despises and wages war on motherhood. Another person put it this way, if you follow the greatest men of God back to their beginnings, you will find yourself in a hidden closet or lonely pew where a mother kneels to pray. You look behind Augustine and you find Monica praying for her son to come to Christ. Look behind Charles Spurgeon and you will find Eliza. Look behind the great Chinese missionary Hudson Taylor and you will find Amelia, his mom, praying. And look at each of these mothers and you will find earnest prayer. Those who know their Bibles should hardly be surprised. Like the star the wise men saw, the stories of God's redemptive movement often lead us to a home where a woman, hidden from the great ones of the earth, caresses a heel that will one day crush a serpent. In the prayers of a mother, awakenings are born, and people are won to Christ. Idols are toppled, and devils are undone, dry bones are are raised, and prodigals rescued. Again and again, before God laid his hand on a man, he laid it on a mother. It's wonderful. Over and over in redemptive history, there turns a flawed but faithful mother bearing a son, Sarah bears Isaac, Rebecca bears Jacob, Rachel bears Joseph, Ruth and Obed, Elizabeth and John, Eunice and Timothy, and of course, Mary and Jesus. So we see this spiritual warfare that's caught up in motherhood through prayer, through nurture, through the caring of children, through the bringing forth of more image bearers that are hated by Satan. Number six, motherhood is more than physical. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8. When we were gentle, Paul does, describes his own ministry in terms of motherhood. Listen to this. A friend of mine, uh, a friend of mine, more of a mentor of mine, he, um, he, he wrote an article called um, Pastoring Like a Nursing Mother, which is not typically what pastors want to think about <laughs> when they think about their ministry. But listen, this is where it comes from, 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8. We were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. 
So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Speaking of the church and his care for the church, of being like a nursing mother. So there's more to it than just physical biology. There's spiritual mothers, right? There's spiritual mothers. We think of even in adoption that there's something really special about a mother who gives birth to a child physically. There's also something really special about someone who takes that child and mothers them in all the other ways and spiritual mothering. So mothering is not just one thing that's just a physical reality that if you don't have physical children that that all of a sudden means you can't enjoy the joys of motherhood. No, there's a greater motherhood, something that's more than physical. Tyler Hawley again says, an unmarried woman may never nurture physical offspring, but she may so pour herself into the lives of the church's young that she walks around with a rambunctious band of kids in tow like a Mary Poppins of Christianity. In many such women I have seen the mother of Proverbs 31 who never lets a fellow Christian go hungry, who works hard to close the needy, and takes care to make sure the life of a, ch- of a church runs smoothly. So even a woman without biological offspring can have Christian children who rise up and call her blessed. The church is filled with sons like me who need the mothering of many women, <laughs> need many mothers. I think of the missionary Amy Carmichael, who decided to live a single life serving orphans in India her whole life. Being a mother to many while being a mother to none physically, but a mother to many spiritually. Her legacy, that she was willing to forego sort of physical motherhood in order to give herself fully to spiritual motherhood and a lot of physical mothering as well, taking in many children, caring for many broken, hurting children. Number seven, finally, but motherhood is not ultimate. Motherhood is not ultimate. While it is a glorious thing, it's a painful thing, it's not actually the ultimate thing. Matthew 12, 46 through 50, while Jesus was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. They want to kind of pull the, <laughs> the uh, priority card, move to the front of the line. Jesus says something very interesting. He replied to the man who said to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my brother, here are my mother, and here are my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. That's an amazing thing to say. He was saying to the women that are in the crowd that if you do what I do, you become closer to me than my own biological mother because there is something more than just physical motherhood. There is this spiritual family that God is building through faith in Christ. In Matthew 19, 12 and verses 29 through 30, Jesus says this, There are many who are eunuchs, which is men who are unable to have children, who have been so from birth, so there are some who just biologically can't have children. That's just, just how it worked out. They just aren't physically able to do it. Some are eunuchs because they have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have, been, who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive this. That's speaking of those who don't marry, but it's also speaking about those who don't become fathers and mothers. And that there is a category for foregoing parenthood for the sake of the kingdom. Not for selfishness, not for convenience, not because of financial reasons, but for the sake of the kingdom, one might forego marriage 
and physical motherhood or fatherhood for the sake of giving them fully to what is ultimate, which is the kingdom of God, and being a spiritual father and mother. So there is a category for that that Jesus greatly honors. Verse 29, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. A hundredfold what? A hundredfold houses, a hundredfold brothers, hundredfold sisters, hundredfold fathers, hundredfold mothers, hundredfold children, hundredfold lands, meaning in the age to come. You will, if you gave up precious gifts in this life to follow Jesus, you will, in a greater sense, receive a bigger family, a greater house, and you will inherit a better land. Maybe not in this life will you experience all that physically, but you will be entering into a family that's greater and more ultimate than just the nuclear biological family. The goal of both motherhood and fatherhood ultimately is siblinghood. My goal as a father is that one day I can call each of my children brother and sister. That ultimately their fundamental relationship will no longer mean that I'm their dad, but I'm their brother. That's the goal. That's the goal of motherhood is that one day you see your children become your brother and your sister. That's the goal. Is that no longer motherhood would be the fundamental reality in relationship, but siblinghood in Christ because we've all been born of God, right? So I'm hoping that that's the case for my children. I'm praying for that for my own kids. I hope you're praying that for your own kids as well, is that motherhood would no longer be the fundamental, most truest, realest thing about you and your children, or you and your own mother, but sister and brother, siblinghood in Christ. So a few applications as we close. Number one, motherhood should be held in the highest honor because it's honored by God. So a few ways you could do this. You could think of others as well. Think encourage, celebrate, and help a mom today. (laughs) And every day, by the way. Number two, desire physical motherhood. That is good for us to train our daughters to desire motherhood. If you don't, explore why not. At least ask the question. not saying that's necessarily good or bad, but just to go why. Why not? Why would I not want to capitalize on this unique gifting that God has given to me to bring image bearers in the world? This is not a law. Nobody can make you desire something, but at least seek the Lord in why if you don't. Pursue spiritual motherhood. While it's good to desire physical motherhood, that may or may not happen. That's a good desire. To not have that desire should be explored. Why or why not? But pursue spiritual motherhood. There isn't a reason why any woman in here can't Come to faith in Christ and be a spiritual mother to someone else. In fact, I think we ought to. Pursue spiritual motherhood. Share Christ. That new birth may happen. Doesn't even require an epidural. Right? Share Christ. That new birth may happen. The true birth. And nurture, and nurture and nourish a young believer. You can still be a mother in all of the ultimate ways, even if you don't have physical children. Seek and treasure a spiritual mother yourself. Find someone who's a little bit further down the road, spiritually, men or women, and and find a godly woman who will speak wisdom over you, pray for you, give you godly encouragement, and be a godly mother to you. And the nice thing is that you can have a whole bunch of those. (laughs) The more mothers, the better. And for those of you who maybe motherhood has brought great grief, genuinely grieve those losses. The Bible has told us and explained why there is such grief in motherhood, and that is okay. So don't dismiss the grief of a mother and the unique grief of a mother. Enter into it, value it, and if you're a mother who has grief, either through how your mother treated you or maybe things that didn't work out 
in terms of how the curse has fallen on you, genuinely grieve when those things go unfulfilled. Secondly, second category, motherhood should not become an idol. Motherhood is not the fundamental identity of any woman. One's availability and service to God and humble submission to whatever He assigns for you is glorifying to Him. Both in this moment and in this season, over the course of an entire lifetime, whatever God has assigned to you, find contentment. First Corinthians 7 says that. Be contented and productive with whatever gift you're given. Whether that's the gift of freedom from children or that's the gift of having to care for many children. Both are gifts in unique ways meant to be stewarded for His glory. Neither is fundamentally to the, to the fun, neither, neither is to be the fundamental identity of any woman. Motherhood is not the determination of the value of any woman. Own and grieve and then forgive the ways your own mother fell short or the ways that you've fallen short as a mother. And lastly, motherhood is a terrible God to worship. It will disappoint you. <laughs> All the mothers say amen, right? Motherhood will disappoint you. It is a good and glorious thing, but it makes a terrible God. And when you put your whole identity in that, you'll inevitably be let down because it cannot bear the weight of your soul. There's only one who can bear the weight of your soul. There's only one that can, can carry your identity. Look to the one who puts motherhood in its right place, which is Jesus. Jesus alone is the one who can redeem it. Jesus alone is the one who went through suffering, death, and resurrection, the thing that motherhood points to and who fulfills it. And so, just to conclude, motherhood is not a curse but a precious blessing. And we have a unique opportunity as the church of God to highly value what is so quickly discarded as a curse in our culture, right? So may the mothers flourish in our church as a precious blessing. It's the Christians who can uniquely protect and promote the wonders of motherhood in the world as a counterculture, right? Yes, we want to fight against some of the things, abortion and all those other things, but we never want to forget that our, also our goal is to promote the beauties of motherhood. And what an amazing thing to see a mother that is thriving and is helped and is cared for and is nurtured. Like, that's the future of the church, and it's the current reality of the church. We have the stunning opportunity to display the beauty of God and the upside-downness of the kingdom by elevating and honoring motherhood and children. We have a vested interest for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of witness and salvation to the world, to have mothers that are full of joy, that are thriving, that are flourishing as a witness to the world of what Christ does when he transforms people. When we get these things in their right spot, the image of God shines forth from a church, and mothers are a huge component of that. But ultimately, the goal is to be found in Christ, to repent of your sin, repent of the things you've put your identity in and put your identity in Christ and then let all of those other labels and identities shine out from the fact that you've been reconciled to God through Christ, that you've repented of your sins, been brought to a relationship with Christ, and the image of God is now being restored in you. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for an opportunity just to spend some time thinking about these seven universal truths about motherhood. I hope it's helpful. A message like this is uh, always tricky <laughs> for one who's not a mother to speak on this, but yet yeah, we trust your word. And God, I do pray that we would take some time to just marvel at your creation. Help us not to, in big ways or little ways, dem demean or belittle it. May we work hard to make sure that 
every mother in our church is encouraged and strengthened and sees the sacredness of her task. May we work together to shield one another from the lies of the evil one, from the lies of our culture that would want to erode or to take away from what you intend to picture and produce through mothers. And uh, God, we, we pray that you would help us to have it in its right spot and that we as the church, as our culture continues to get more and more dark, that the light would just be that much brighter and that much more attractive and that this would be one way that we express the image of God and the fact that you are uh, restoring us to our original purpose and design. And I pray that all of us would find our place in that as we're all, this is all landing on each one of us in a different way in terms of how we relate to motherhood, our own mothers, or experience of motherhood, or desire for motherhood, or lack of desire for motherhood. God, I just pray that you would give grace and your spirit would apply this wherever is needed in each individual heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org.